0: Hi, I'm Nikki. I want to inspire you to live authentically. My aim is to raise consciousness through interviewing people that are living truly to their nature and purpose. A big welcome to David Kahn, who in part two of his interview today, talks about the eight psychic senses and what to do if you are an empath. He also chats to me about moving from rock music to the five frequencies for spiritual growth.
1: It can be a bit overwhelming sometimes because it it really depends on how much prior knowledge people have had with this stuff, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. People
1: are just opening up to the idea that, you know, there's energy out there. (laughs) You know, this stuff is probably going to be like, whoa, what the heck is this guy talking about? Yeah. You know, and, and...
0: yeah, so I mean, what I'm interested in will attract a certain audience. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and there'll always be people that listen to something and go, blah, blah, "What you know, that's, that's yeah. a load of crap. <laughs> but um, there will be people that are interested in wanting to learn about this stuff and I think that it's very important to help people along with their journeys to, to learn about these new things or get a deeper understanding of it. So, uh, you were telling me that there were eight different ways of um, interpreting symbology or understanding. um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'd say
1: you can break it down to eight, but it's symbolized by the uh, Star of David, you know, the upward facing triangle meeting the lower facing triangle, which is the symbolism of the masculine meeting the feminine and being in complete unity. And that's really that equilibrium. When there's a in scientifically it's hemispheric balance in the brain. And so we work a lot with that when I do the brainwave entrainment stuff. But that symbolism allows us to lock in, and there's actually six different abilities, but you can break it down into another two, and when you, when you hear them you'll understand why. Because there's three different types of feeling, is what it is. Right. And so that's why sometimes you'll hear eight, and sometimes you'll hear six. But these abilities are essentially how we can perceive unseen data and um, one of the most interesting things and it's absolutely essential for people to do that now because we are subjected to a level of misinformation blatant lies um, about reality that is uh, harming the human species and people that have these abilities developed are able to navigate because they have a good navigation system in place Um, and so these six abilities uh, one one Way that people develop them all the time is if they grow up in difficult circumstances. Now, let's say they're a kid on the you know on the streets or something. They have to read people's energy because they don't know who's sincere or not. Everybody's trying to make a buck off of them, so they have to be able to read. Or somebody who grows up as a kid in an abusive household. They have to read their energy. Is that alcoholic father how you know how close is he to just start throwing punches right now? That type of thing. I have to be able to read his energy. I have to see if I have to withdraw. So a lot of people who have had their psychic abilities awaken it came from some sort of trauma and that doesn't have to be the case it's that's just a way to kind of thrust it out there a lot of people i meet too they just have a disinterest in you know life through the five senses and so they're looking for something more you know and they start to gradually expand and they expand their awareness is like oh wow as i'm learning more about spirituality i'm learning more about you know, people who are channels and mystics and psychics and all that. What's that all about? And then they're like, "Oh, actually, some people are born with that. Some people develop it in childhood, but you can develop it even as an adult."
0: So, what am I looking to develop? These six ah, abilities. Good.
1: We'll get we'll get to what those are. So, I think that they tend to reflect what a person's characteristics are in life because five of them are. Energetic forms of the five senses, and then the other uh, three are, are uh, a little bit different. But um, their clair audience, which I talked about, it's one of the more common ones that people hear message. They get a, a, a resounding yes inside their, their body, their knowing, their intuition. The voice of intuition, they could say, voice of reason. Um, clairvoyance, and that's the word that people are most familiar with, and that's being able to see. And that could be externally seeing energy, seeing auras, or it can also be seeing in the mind's eye, seeing visions, seeing patterns, seeing um, you know, movies unfold or imagery. Uh, then there's clair, salience, which is actually being able to smell. And it's very handy, believe it or not. Um, if you've ever had the experience of you walk into somewhere and there's people there and you smell something. And it's like either can smell really good and it's like you step into a kitchen when the food's being cooked with love and you're like, oh, it just does it for me. And everyone else is like, oh, yeah, I guess I kind of smell that, but not really. Or sometimes uh, you can walk into an area and something smells off. It's just like, woof, it doesn't smell good in here. But everybody else doesn't seem to notice. And that is sort of a psychic indication, especially if it's trying to get your attention fast. People that have clairsalience almost have like animal-like instincts. It's a very fast way to get a hold of somebody's attention. Clairagustence is taste. And it's literally sometimes it's like people be in you know a deep trance state let's say and they can literally taste metal or they can taste something. I don't work too much with um, but I assume if you're a you know, Cosmic Chef or something like that. You know, you'd want to be able to taste the thing before you actually made the pairing happen. So I could see how a very, very talented useful. chef would want to have that ability established. Then there's um, claircognizance, knowing, And that's one that came online for me first. That clairvoyance and clairaudience for me personally are the things that came on first that I dealt with. But clear cognizance is you just know the answer. You tend to interrupt people. It's very annoying because all of a sudden it pops in your mind and you just say it. And people are like, why did you interrupt me? I was like, sorry, it just popped up. I just knew the answer. I knew what you were going to say. I finished your sentence, whatever it was. Um, That's clear knowing, clear cognizance. Then there's um, three ones based on touch. And so you could uh, incorporate them into... Uh, one and then you have six and then you have sort of the six pointed star and the reason why that is because in the progression of perfecting one's ability they want you want to have all of those areas developed you want to have sort of the six uh, abilities developed but um, but you can break that touch ability into three because there's clear tangents which would be sort of if I were to let's say I, I know people who are involved in kinetic therapies people who are involved with you know, body work, that type of thing. They can basically do a hand scan over something and be like, oh, this area of your body, I can feel that. And then they know how to direct their hands and their energy. That's an externalized version. Uh, Another one is uh, clair, um, that's called clair-tangents. Then there's clair-sentience, which is basically you feel it in your body. You just, you feel something strongly and then you tend to know from there. So the other thing is claircognizance is kind of tapped into all of these because it's sort of the interpretation of them. It's sort of you're getting higher uh, information that comes in, but you have to know what to do with it. So claircognizance is sort of attached to all of these. And then finally, there's empathy, And that's one. I think when people get more sensitive, they tend to develop that. You know, Somebody steps into your presence, and all of a sudden your feeling changes based on their energy. And um, that's another very, very common one.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, think, uh, I think a lot of people feel that. If yeah. uh, someone walks into a room that they're in that's either mm-hmm. has a really great up energy, then you're like, ooh, wow, you're drawn to that. And it's, or if someone is very depressed, suddenly whew, you can feel that. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, that's the thing too, is with empathy... You know, you're looking at body language cues a lot of the time or what somebody's saying, you know, to empathize with somebody. is like, hey, I want to talk to you about this. And it's like, okay, I'm going to switch into empathy. But with clear empathy it's like literally somebody could walk into the room and they might be having a poker face on their face, but you're like, oh, I can feel into them. I can feel what's really going on. And I think that's the more developed clear empathy
0: Yeah, I've, I've heard a lot of people say that they're empathic. Mm-hmm. And so how do you turn that off? How do you work with that so that you're not hooked into other people's stuff all the time?
1: The first and most basic thing that you do as an empath is you're very, very discerning about where you place your energy. Um, you obviously, the one thing empaths end up doing, and it's to their own self-sabotage and detriment, is they go out and they try to martyr themselves to fix the world. So they go and they throw themselves into very dark areas that need healing, and they they end up flattened. So the first thing is that they have to realize, they have to sit in their own energy first and then from that place, begin to figure out the things that they can actually work with and help and actually cause a a better change. So it's usually coming back in and you know, I think empaths, um, I've, I've known many empaths and they tend to do very well when they're on their own in their own space and if their space is set up nicely and they're very discerning about who they Um, put their energy in touch with because there's a a pattern with a lot of empaths that they end up with sort of a broken narcissistic type person Mm. so they like to give energy the narcissistic person likes to take energy the narcissistic person they can see this wounded gem in there and they keep trying to help and it's like helping a black hole it's, It's it's a sinkhole um, and they, then, you know, then they're like, oh, that person is a narcissist and they're terrible. It's like, no, it's just an energy dynamic. One is a taker and one is a giver. And then they find another similar relationship and they have another similar horrible relationship and then just string after string after string of, of partners. And it's like, wow, you seem to date the worst of the, the bunch out there.
0: So, right, so what you do could actually help that person. Well,
1: what I do is I wouldn't go in there and I wouldn't generally be like, well, I'm going to go to the Akashic Records and I'm going to bring, No, I'd be like, look, Stop doing that. <laughs> see the pattern for what it is. I would, however, um, go into the Akashic Records because what happens, especially with lovers, this is an interesting thing I see a lot. When people say, I love you, and they really mean it, like they're just, they, they're, they, they're not themselves. They have that hit of, um, you know, endorphins running and they fall in love and they, they basically form a very strong connection, energetic Chemical biological connection with somebody and it's good and they're both high They start to form energetic tethers and that what ends up happening is that as the relationship goes on and it if it tends to dwindle Those tethers are still there So they're energetically connected to the other person, but they're not getting that energy through a loving connection anymore They're getting it through You know picking each other apart right. You know and the term emotional bank account has come up where you know it's like you know you have to invest in, in the relationship. You have to invest in that, and if that stays healthy, then you maintain a healthy connection with the person. But if it gets unhealthy, you still have that connection going on, but it's now in a very negative, unhealthy way. So even if you break up with the person, you're still energetically tied. A lot of people have you know thoughts about their ex, and, and you know then they're calling and they're talking, and it's disastrous communication. It's, it never works out, and then the, you know they come to me and I'll sit down and I'll be like, well, there's tethers. You know, are you ready to let them go? And usually I make people work for it mm. because I don't want to just be um, somebody who says, okay, well, it's done. I've healed you. Go off and I'll see you in a week. <laughs> when, <laughs> you know, you go and do that. I, I try to make them aware, why are you doing that? What's causing that? Because I actually want to see some growth of awareness in them. And so I can make the energetic shift, and that, but they have to have the um, impetus to want to actually change it. Uh, you know it's it's of no real benefit in my opinion to you know always make the correction and then have the person repeat the same mistakes right yeah yeah and so a lot of the time with people that are empathic you know it, it's really a, a lot about boundaries and and it's a lot about teaching them to energetically you don't lean outward when you're in public and that type of thing it's, it's sort of you keep that energy a little bit closer you know you realize that you know you have to assess a person before you really start to give them your trust yeah
0: so it's about breaking those energetic patterns as well as the actual initial healing of the wound
1: yeah a lot of the time with empaths especially the empaths that are just naturally these bright sparkly people is that they're going to have an effect on people and so people are going to get a hit out of them so people that are maybe more miserable most of the time they meet this person they get a hit out of them And then they're all of a sudden lit up and they're seeing the best in that person initially. So they're like, oh, I can trust this person. And then they're around them for a little while and then, of course, the the shadow side comes out. And so the thing is is that empaths need to learn to be discerning. Empathy is a very feminine trait. It's a very receptive trait. Mm -hmm. The masculine is more compartmentalized and discerning. So for somebody to balance both forces in themselves, balance that within themselves, again, going back to the six-pointed, Uh, Star is is that equilibrium of okay. Well, you know I'm going to be empathic and receptive and and really feel into things, but I'm going to be discerning where my energy goes and It's learning that skill because it's too easy for people who are more receptive to just you know Put themselves out there have no boundaries and kind of get flattened by the world and then they sort of end up um, growing resentful resentful over time Likewise the opposite end of the spectrum is to see (laughs) the world too compartmentalized, too logical, too linear, and never allowing any magic to happen, being far too um, calculated with every move.
0: How would you work with someone like that?
1: Uh, Uh, Non-linearly. Non-linearly. Meaning, it's, it's harder because they have to want to believe. They have to see the pain in their ways. And the ways that I tend to see that are people that have you know, a lot of resource issues, money, that type of thing, they'll be like, yeah, you know, I'm just slaving away for money. And men, men generally fall into that category, that overly logical category. It's a harder one to work with hmm. because even if they see something magical, they're going to be skeptical of it. That left brain really shuts it down quickly. The but then
0: line. I guess when they do have a shift, it's that much more powerful.
1: Yeah. The, the problem that you run into is when they have a shift and they get a hit of that they tend to build a story around it fairly quickly because again, the logical mind snaps back into being control. So then, you know, a very crude example would be, let's say they went to a particular um, yoga class and then they had an experience at that yoga class. And let's just say it was, um, I don't know, vinyasa flow or something. And then all of a sudden they proclaim, well, vinyasa flow is the only way <laughs> you know, to, to enlightenment because I had this experience and nothing else did it, nothing else will do it, so this is the way to go. And then they, they, they get very rigid in that. Or um, you know, they, they, they can get hyper-focused on that one thing and not see, again, from a broader perspective. Um, and this probably would be a very good segue into a lot of the brainwave entrainment stuff.
0: You do, what's it? Isochronic frequency right? That or is it not really sound frequency
1: more? <laughs> Put it this way, everything I work with is frequency. Okay. Um, a lot of the psychic stuff is the frequencies we cannot see. Sound and light are going to be the frequencies that work best for people that are insensitive. Because they can't feel the other energies that exist in the other parts of the electromagnetic spectrum. So the electromagnetic spectrum is you know, huge. And it goes from zero to... All the way to the end. And scientists, you know, cosmic rays are the fastest frequency out there, and the slowest, of course, are some of the natural rhythms, earthquakes, that type of thing. But anyway, sound is, you know, it's a very minute portion of that down here. Light is a very minute portion here. And that's all we can perceive. So very small slivers of the realm of frequency. And so the, a lot of the Akashic work, tarot, um, astrology works within these other facets, these other things we can't see nor um, hear. But the work that I'm doing now, and it's not just sound, by the way, I'm actually studying a lot of animation, I'm studying a lot of the corresponding uh, color frequencies for sound. So it's something called cymatics where you're actually able to make a visual representation of the sound frequencies. And the reason for that is because transformation can also take place through the five senses, through seeing and hearing. And a lot of cultures around the world use symbolism. You know, They make people study symbolism because that's one way that's in front of them. It's in this physical reality. And so they can begin to tune into that through the physical, through the tangible, or through the audible. And so working with sound and light is very important because that way, that part of the brain can then be wired and then it can be, it can eventually be brought into hemispheric balance with the right side of the brain and increase sensitivity to some of those energies that are a little bit more hard to perceive. So the work I did with sound actually, um, I've always been interested in sound. I was an international touring rock musician and I used to tell myths through very kind of. lively, symphonic rock music. They just tell these grand, the hero's journey essentially in many different ways. But it was it was difficult because I wanted to do it more consciously and, and the, the sphere of working in that genre of music isn't suited for consciousness. It's suited for, you know, loud music and... Partying. Partying, bar gigs, that type of thing. So I, I eventually said, I've had enough of this, but I want to dive deeper into the sound and really understand it. I've always had a, a side that could uh, do acoustic music and I used to just play acoustic music and really get in the zone with it and it would have an effect on people. It was sort of like any uh, you know, performer who really is in the zone, they're able to take the space that they're in and, and communicate that through the medium of the instrument. So the actual music's important. But when I begin to look at that more closely, I can see that the actual tuning of the music is even more important the actual frequencies of the music and so i began to play with the tuning and I, i've actually developed a lot of um, formulas to kind of help me tune instruments differently very quickly like on the fly and so a lot of the instruments i use are, are synthesizers or or pads that you can tune very easily and then some of the stuff i use is stringed instruments which you can also tune and the voice which is tunable just by how we um, Alternate sort of you know our larynx and you know, our, our chest voice and the amount of, of air we're using and that type of thing. So you know that is very easy to tune a flute not so much you know, or something that is uh, fixed it's a little bit more challenging so I have to pick my instruments. but the things I can tune them to I actually use astrology quite a bit so I look at the orbits of various planets and then I take those orbits and I multiply them. so I figure out okay what's if I multiply this, you know, by a power of two to 40 degrees, meaning that, you know, 40 times, 40 octaves higher of Neptune's orbit is audible, let's say. So you can hear that as a frequency. So it's the Neptune frequency. And then I can tune a whole song to that and I know the energetic properties of Neptune so I know what I'm actually imbuing. So there's the actual tuning of the thing and then there's the conscious imbuement through the performance. So that's the music. The other component is what You uh, termed isochronic. Isochronic is a type of brainwave entrainment method, and there's several. There's binaural beats, there's monaural beats, there's isochronic. And the way that this works is it creates a signal that the brain picks up on and it takes the brain and guides it to particular frequency ranges on a schedule. And so, what I do is I map these in advance based on the effect I'm trying to achieve and then test them to, to see does it actually create the states that it, it is. What they found is that there's many, basically, the brain is like a vault of different states of perception. Um, so, you know, there's frequencies for past life regression, there's frequencies for uh, the release of human growth hormone, there's frequencies for astral travel, there's frequencies for relaxation. The frequencies for creativity, frequencies for bone regeneration, like it, it, the list goes on with this. Uh, obviously, it's not like you, you listen to one and all of a sudden your you, your bones regenerate if you have a broken arm or something. It's just a frequency that's going to facilitate more of that. Uh, and I got very interested when I tried one of these sessions that somebody had mapped Zen Buddhist monks five months in retreat in meditation. And so they had taken their brainwaves, reversed engineered a frequency schedule for that, and then I tried it as a music session. And I had a complete experience of non-duality in 40 minutes. Wow. Just, I didn't know where the, my body ended and where the room began, essentially. And so it's like, wow, it's like, uh, like Neo in the Matrix. I just downloaded the experience of these Zen monks in meditation. Now there's great power with that and great danger. If you gave that to somebody who's never done anything before... You know, you could take them into a state that's very deep. And one thing I do see, is I do see with people sometimes, when I give them some of the little bit more deep ones, often they penetrate a layer where there's a lot of um, irritation, chronic thinking, trauma, that type of thing stored. So you have to go slowly. Because the people that are, you know, this is not time, this back in with the logical thing. So the brainwave schedule is a very powerful way and using one of these different methods, binaural beats, what it does is it uh, sends a different signal to the right ear and left ear and they're offset by a number of hertz and so the brain recalculates um, the difference of the two. So if you have 204 and 200 hertz, you take 204 minus 200 and you get 4 hertz. And so you just play with the difference is of those two waveforms to create a schedule. It's a bit Techie, but what you, you do is you basically create something that sounds like a wobble and it entrains the brain. It um, sounds
0: like a slow wave form to me.
1: That's how you'd, you'd hear it. Right. you hear, whoa, 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 It slow down and speed up. Isochronic, and the, the thing about binaural is sometimes they work for certain frequencies, sometimes they don't. The other thing about them is you need headphones. You have to use headphones with them. Because uh, it's
0: by too. Yeah, it's
1: by exactly. And mm-hmm. so if you just have it playing over a speaker, you won't actually hear it. Now, the way to get around that is called monaural. And monaural is where the two frequencies are collapsed. So you hear like a whoa, 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 whoa. So it's already done for you before it comes out of the speaker. And the third type is on- isochronic. And isochronic is very powerful, it mimics what the shaman's drums do. Because it's a pulse, it's an on-off pulse, so it's like a, it sounds like a pff, like a Kalishnikov almost or something at a high frequency and a low frequency it's like a. Pff,
0: pff, 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 pff,
1: pff. Um, but what it does is is that on-off it basically takes the brain entrains it into whatever frequencies you want it to go. Um, so those are the, the way that that works and I try to create a schedule that matches the music and then we usually put guidance over top too. So my voice or Vanessa's voice or whoever's voice. I work with hypnotherapists sometimes. so they, I design them for their hypnotherapy sessions and then they speak over top. And basically that's, you know, it's, it's sort of like you know, you're, you're creating one experience and you can do that with certain music frequencies and you can do that with certain brainwave and frequencies to match what the actual guidance is. So it's like three different layers or levels that work together to create a very powerful effect for people. And really, the way that I see it is that the brainwave entrainment, it's the brain, but it actually has a somatic experience in the body, it's very tangible. So it's actually working on the body level. It actually sends the messages through the neuropeptides in the body through the whole nervous system to relax, or to speed up, or to do whatever you're trying to do. The music is an emotional experience, so it works on the emotions. The guidance is the mind. If you think about it, a creative visualization, your mind is working hard. So it actually incorporates all three layers of those lower densities, I'd say. The things that people can basically say, yeah, like anybody can go in and say, yeah, I heard this creative guidance. I experienced something listening to the music and my, there was a different sensation in my body. And so it can work well with people who are stuck in the left hemisphere of the brain. Now, I'm going to get to what challenges we encounter with this. Um, There's five main brainwave frequencies. And these five brainwave frequencies are the dominant frequency at which the brain operates. So there's what's known as uh, gamma, beta, alpha, theta, and delta. And these are well-researched, like this is very well-researched, it's it's a part of neuroscientific literature. Um, Of course, a lot of neuroscientists are skeptical about this stuff working, they're like, well, there's not enough conclusive studies and all this, but when you start to experience this and you start to look at some of the more uh, alternative scientists who have done this, you you see very clearly that, you know, you take that body of information and it really does work well. And you know what, like there's a lot of people that are using this in sports medicine, in all sorts of you know, high-level therapies out there. So it's, it's becoming more and more of a, a phenomenon. Now, what I'm interested in using this for is to help people spiritually develop. And the left portion of the brain, like I said, there's five frequencies, is, tends to be stuck in one frequency. And it's the dominant frequency that our culture as a whole gets stuck in. We get stuck in do, 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 go, 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 do, 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 do. I am a separate person driving a separate vehicle, having a separate existence, and it's about me and my life and my family and my achievements. And that, they don't see the interconnectedness of things, the left brain. It's a concentrated, focused, stressed out frequency. It's called beta. It's very, very good for doing certain things. It has a frequency range of 14 to 27 hertz. So... Per second, the the brain is emitting a signal that oscillates between 14 and 27 hertz, somewhere in that range, depending on how fired up they are or how relaxed they are. But it's not a very relaxed state.
0: I I guess there's quite a lot of adrenaline going through that that body if if you're in that uh, waveform all the time. Well, the other
1: thing, too, is that people say they're going to watch Netflix and relax, but their brain could still be hardwired into that frequency range. So they're just sitting there tense, not doing much. Right. Right? But they're concentrating on the movie or what it's playing. So they're, they're distracted from the other issues in their life. So they say it's relaxation. I would say what people call relaxation and what relaxation actually is are two very different things. Because for me, relaxation is actually a brainwave state that a lot of a different quality of thing happens. And that brainwave state is between 8 and 14 hertz. It's called alpha. It's flow state. It's like... When the interview gets going and it's good and you feel a real reciprocity with the person, you feel a real reciprocity with the environment. Um, And, you know, you you then go and you take a nice walk on the beach and you see the sun and all of a sudden you get great ideas and insights about life. There's dogs running around and they're running up and playing with you. And you're just part of the whole scene. You're part of that flow. High performance athletes, when they're doing their thing and they, they, you know, runners look like gazelles just gliding. You know, or figure skaters are just twirling off the ice and and they're just moving in the most beautiful way. That's alpha. That's a very, very euphoric, relaxed state to be in.
0: I would maybe call it being in your genius. Yeah,
1: exactly. Uh, Flow state is what they scientifically term it. Um, And we can achieve it when we're doing something that requires a sufficient level of skill. So we have to have a certain level of skill and then there's a certain level of uh, relaxation about it. So again, it's a balance of the masculine and the feminine I go back to this a lot because the masculine is the actual technique and the feminine is the release of the surrender So the masculine is that I've studied this thing This discipline and the feminine is yeah, I'm gonna break the rules and just forget it. Just do the thing You know, like when I play music, I'm not thinking about the piece if I am I'm not in flow when I'm learning a piece. I'm not really in flow with it It's when I've got the, the muscle memory Established, and that's out of the way and then you know, I'm playing piano or I'm playing guitar and I'm just in my element with it. That's flow. And mm-hmm. it's just a really nice state to be in. So what I recommend is that somebody has some creative outlet that can get them there. The reason being for that is because in our society we have this huge deficit of that by being locked into the beta frequency. And so people need regular access into that flow state. The reason being is because there's a crust almost between the two that forms of stress, anxiety, unresolved tension, traumas. And so what it does is it keeps us in that beta range. And so the more that we break that crust and break down that, um, the more that we can access into our innate nature, the more that our intuition begins to guide our life, the more that we begin to develop those skills. The skills as time went earlier, psychic skills happen in the next layer down.
0: You can find out more on David Kahn at thebladeandchalice.com and thebladeandchalice on Instagram. I hope you enjoyed the NixiePod podcast. Please do subscribe.